Welcome to Passing Years CAM Podcast, Conversations on Error Digestive Management. Unlike our regular podcast episodes, this special bonus episode is not available for continuing education credit. This episode features your host, Dr. Kristen King, and guests Karen Dykeman and Marta Kazanjian having a conversation about the third edition of their book, Communication and Swallowing Management of Tracheostomized and Ventilator-Dependent Individuals, which is a great resource for clinicians working with patients with tracheostomy. Welcome. We're at the ASHA 2021 convention, and we're speaking with Marta Kazanjian and Karen Dykeman about their updated book, the new third edition, Communication and Swallowing Management of Tracheostomized and Ventilator-Dependent individuals. There's been a lot of research and a lot of new information that's come out about working with these patients. And I know you did a lot of things to update your book because this book really is an essential piece of information. It's an essential resource for speech language pathologists especially, but really for any profession that deals with patients who have tracheostomies or mechanical ventilation. Um, I know it emphasizes communication and swallowing, but that's such a key piece that's often missing for these patients. And so that's why I say anyone can learn from it to help balance the care of their patients. And, yes. You know, give them what they need. But can you share a little bit about what things you needed to update to bring it into the 21st century? Um, well, Kristen, we tried to keep true to the original kind of format organization of the book, mm -hmm. taking everybody, taking the reader through uh, anatomy and physiology um, and uh, normal and abnormal uh, respiration. So just starting from the beginning, um, fully updated, of course, with some new resources. We wanted to keep true to what we had done before because we'd really written it to be, as you said very nicely, a clinical tool, um, but also respect the amazing amount of research that just in the last 13 years, 14 years since the second edition has just exploded. We have so many respected uh, researchers in our field now who are doing a tremendous amount of work in respiration and swallowing, reciprocity, um, things that we never even thought about until now. So that took a lot, a lot of updating, more than we originally thought. We thought, we'll just tweak. And it was beyond tweaking. But yeah, it was, you know, we we're proud of this work because it allows people to have, as Karen said, sort of a foundation, but also sort of a tool to help as a problem, you know, for problem solving. So you know you have the background in um, in uh, understanding non-invasive versus invasive ventilation, helping people understand the differences between tracheostomy tubes, um, the impact of tracheostomy tubes and the different types of tubes, and how that impacts both communication and swallowing. Um, we talk a lot about airway management. So these are all precursors, and so we're encouraging our readers to read from chapter one, so because each chapter kind of builds okay. on on the next. Um, but this book and this edition has uh, a, a couple of new things that we're really excited and proud. Of. Well, I, and I wanted to get to that because I know that was a big piece of this book that it's not just like you said, it's not just tweaked. It's exactly. very, it's brought up to date with research and everything going on for what you had in the book before, but you've actually added several topics 
So, yes, yes, can you share a little bit about the topics that you've added? Well, we actually changed the name of the book. Oh, let's start there. Yes, you did. Originally, the, the uh, it was Communications Following Management for uh, Tracheostomized and Ventilator-Dependent Patients, but we changed it to Individuals because we wanted to actually represent the entire uh, age span. So we have um, now uh, a chapter um, that we dedicated to pediatrics, um, which was missing. It was really an adult uh, textbook in the past, but uh, we recognize that uh, children um, can be both tracheostomized and ventilator dependent. And so Karen and I invited a seasoned clinician, Laura Brooks, uh, to join us. And so she contributed, it's the only contributed chapter uh, in the textbook, but um, it's a wonderful comprehensive chapter that really addresses tracheostomy and ventilator management for the pediatric population as as we think about communication and swallowing. And just to share, since you mentioned that, Laura Brooks is a speech-language pathologist. Yes. She's at Children's Hospital of Atlanta and she has both practiced clinically and conducted research exactly. in pediatrics working with patients with tracheostomy and mechanical ventilation. So I'm sure she was a good resource for a pediatric yeah. chapter. Yeah. I'm, I'm personally very excited that you have a pediatric chapter uh, because we get asked a lot by people for resources on pediatrics because yes. it's kind of an underserved population when yes. it comes to research and textbooks or information and working with them so I think that's going to be a really big nice addition. It was definitely missing from previous chapters but candidly you know Karen and I although we have done work with pediatrics with this population it's not our specialty area and we really wanted to get input from a seasoned clinician who's in the trenches addressing sort of the common issues that trach and vent pediatric patients feel. Um, and as I said, the previous chapters, uh, before you get to the pediatric chapter, kind of sets you up to have the background and the understanding in mechanical ventilation, airway management, tracheostomy tubes, all of that. Well, and, and personally, I think it's actually your book flow is perfect for both the adult and pediatric population because I think for pediatrics, because it's Personally, I think it's a little bit more complex because you have developmental considerations, and then, of course, if you're talking NICU and infants, you've got a whole host of fragility with their medical complexities and diagnoses and all that they have. It's just a different world. And I'm like you just said, I think that the other chapters set it up well to give you the foundational knowledge that you need to work with both patient populations, all individuals, yes, as you said, yes, yes. Um, and that it as you said, builds on it and then leads you into that pediatric population. Because I think if you understand adults, that will give you a really nice foundation to kind of move towards 100%. that. Actually start the pediatric chapter with embryology so that you can un have an appreciation for what happens in the very early stages of development and understanding again the, the synchrony of breathing and swallowing and breathing. And that um, will also, it's almost, I'm not going to say a vicious cycle because that would be negative, yeah. but it's very cyclical because yes. then understanding that embryology and the synchronicity that happens between swallowing and respiration and, and all those functions then will also build back to the adult population 100%. as to what you need to know. So 
And we worked hard to really integrate Laura's chapter into the book. So there, to your point, um, she will talk about, uh, you know, uh, she's talking about pediatric ventilation. And she'll say, as we discussed in chapter four, mechanical principles of mechanical ventilation. That's nice. Yeah. So, so we really tried to yeah. integrate it so that it, it floats. Yeah. It floats. And Laura, as you point out, is just, she's a clinician. We would be emailing or texting and she'd say, I'll get back to you after three. I've got to go put a passing-your valve on, on a, a one-year-old. <laughs> so she's right there. So yeah. she will just be able to, I think, we feel to help the readers with that. We just didn't have that kind of hands-on pediatric right. experience, so we never Anymore. would represent right. ourselves that way. Well, no, and I'm... I, it speaks well of you both that you would invite someone to contribute a chapter like that to add another component to the book. And um, so I'm really excited you add that component. But that's not all that that's you've added right. that's new. Because I know you've added a couple of new things. Uh -huh. So Well, we felt it, the, the world that we were working in mm -hmm. uh, is certainly an interesting world these last few years. And one thing that uh, Marta especially, but myself as well, became part of our palliative team in our hospital and our subacute um, rehab nursing home vet setting. So we felt that we could not not include a chapter in the role of the speech-language pathologist in palliative care, which of course is one of Marta's expertise, but she was a pleasure to be able to join this group as well. Um, and this population so needs that kind of input um, that we felt and we need to empower speech pathologists to represent their patients, especially their trach and vent patients, give them a voice so they can let the team know what they want. Because we felt, we saw it happen that people would speak for these patients. And, and when you were able to actually let the patient communicate what they needed, that you know, they had a lot to say and they had a lot of opinions and to be able to direct their own lives and their the end of their own life perhaps was a tool, was a, a gift that it's really important that we let people know that a speech pathologist can be involved in this giving, giving patients autonomy is essential That's in their it. medical care and I think the palliative care area is something we definitely need more information on. Mm -hmm. So having a chapter as a resource is fabulous. Um, um, and my hope is that the book for other than speech pathologists, you know, uh, of the other medical and allied medical disciplines, respiratory care, physicians, nurses, people who deal with this population and in critical care, that also will help sort of illuminate the you know the, the the importance of where what the speech pathologist brings to the table mm -hmm. um, in terms of serious illness. Well, I'm going to shift the gears a little because, as everyone knows, we're in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> it's been going on for quite a while, and I say, unfortunately, I said the middle because we don't have the end in sight yes. yet, so we don't really yes. know where we are. But your book is so up to date that I believe you even included the pandemic and COVID in the book. Well, we have a, uh, a, a um, whole chapter dedicated to, uh, you know, working in a pandemic and we talk about COVID-19. And um, I, we probably would have this book already out on the bookshelves a year ago if the pandemic didn't no, hit. That's for but sure. maybe, you know, from, the, from an educational standpoint, maybe it was a good thing that uh, we didn't have the book out uh, on the bookshelves because we did include a full chapter on um, working in a pandemic, uh, the impact of COVID-19 on 
uh, our patients who are tracheostomized, ventilator dependent. Um, we, we gave the history on what it was like for us. We talked a lot about just the impact of looking at um, aerosol generating procedures looking at what we knew and didn't know, how we had to take sort of the literature that was evolving over time. Um, and so that was really an exciting chapter to write uh, because I, I hope that it allows the reader to appreciate where we were in the beginning and, and how challenging it was. Um, even for tracheostomized and ventilator experts, we all struggled with how we were gonna care for this population given the viral load uh, with a, you know, with patients with open airways. Um, so yeah, it's it's. Um, I hope that it'll be a great resource for Sunday. I I don't think we can get more up to date than having a current pandemic that won't even be over yet when your book comes out. Yeah, as uh, Marta was saying, we just want the reader to know that we were there with mm -hmm. them as everyone struggled and how to take care of their patients. We were there with the shortages of PPE and uh, friends and colleagues becoming ill and you know all those worries and and how do we serve our, our patients? How do we take care of them? Um, so to be able to hopefully, I think, give people some practical knowledge and again, uh, resources um, and references um, to be able to read more, to build their own critical thinking skills, and where do I find this information? It's evolving, as you say, Kristen, with the, the new normal, as it's being called. Yes. How will we continue to cope as healthcare professionals? So, I mean, this this book, it, you know, it's it's this population is such that it's there's no such thing as writing a cookbook for how to, how to manage this population. No, each patient's an individual. Each patient is an individual, and that's why we chose that word yeah. very carefully. Um, you know, we've tried to take a very patient-centered approach um, in, in writing the text to help the reader think about sort of the person, the individual as the center of the team. Um, but it is, um, it, it hopefully does, as Karen said, uh, you know, help the clinician really critically think about what are the next steps? Why should I, you know, what would make sense if I did it this way versus, so how do I choose this device? You know, we have um, charts in the book that, that talk about the difference between open position and closed position valves, for example. So people understand, you know, um, not every trach tube is the same. Not every one-way valve is the same. Um, not every respiratory, uh, you know, uh, threshold or, uh, or uh, respiratory strengthening device is the same. Things are different. So just understanding a little bit about, um, you know, what's available. Um, I think we have over 700 references in the textbook. Uh, I think it's, some, it's something around that number. So it's a large it's, number. It's yeah. So we we didn't we tried not to get rid of some of the old ones because we wanted people to understand the history behind mm -hmm. yeah. um, this work and the foundation. But uh, but but yes, you have uh, new and updated. Uh, well, one thing I, I want to share because Karen, you mentioned um, that you've been in, you were there with people work yeah. you know with COVID-19 you experienced the same things with the shortages of PPE and some of the barriers and and issues that you had to learn to manage because it was so different than anything we'd seen before and I in the introduction I said this but I want to make sure people are aware because you mentioned Laura as a seasoned clinician you were both seasoned clinicians 
So it's the entire book is from seasoned clinicians who have been in the trenches, worked with these patients. For no, over 30 years. Yes, for over 30 years. <laughs> they really know, you know, what's going on with them. Um, so I just wanted to kind of make sure wow. that was clear. Yeah. That, that Thank you, Kristen. That is yes. true. And I think, you know, at the beginning you said what made us do this. Mm -hmm. I was a little reluctant, not because I was reluctant, because it really is our life's work, because I knew the amount of work that this was going to be. Probably not quite as much work, right, Marta? <laughs> um, but the greatest compliment we could ever get is when people used to say, I go to the bedside of my tracheostomized ventilator-dependent patient, and let's say I have to put a Passimura valve on because it's, of course, the only valve that I can put on my vent patient, and I take the Bible with me, they used to say. And they used to say, you know, I have, it's a clinical resource for them. Mm -hmm. And as Marta said, it's never a cookbook, but it would take, it takes people, we hope, through how to do things and why, and how to process. troubleshoot. And if something doesn't go well, who to contact? And let me go to my resources and say, maybe I'll reach out to uh, the Passimura company. Maybe I'll reach out to Aspire too. So it, we just tried to give people the tools that they need to do the jobs for their patients. And, and, and that honestly, really was our job. Right, and honestly, you know, giving you the references so that you mm -hmm. can see the what's, you know, who, who wrote about mm -hmm. what, and you can really dig down. I mean, it, it's impossible to get into significant detail for every single aspect. It's impossible, or else the book um, would be 100 million pages. <laughs> but, um, but you have the references so that you can learn a little bit more, you can dig deeper. Mm -hmm. uh, and with the hope that, as we keep saying, that you start to critically think about how to manage this population. And you address it both from communication and from swallowing. Yes. yes. But do you also go into some treatment modalities and mm -hmm. consi or considerations for treatment? Mm -hmm. So we have a whole chapter in terms of in terms of communication. We have we've split it up into uh, oral communication. So patients are facilitating verbal oral communication, verbal speech production, um, and language. And then we also have an augmentative chapter, non-oral we call it, so that when and if a patient may be in the early stages and we talk about the different times you see patients. Because in the beginning, somebody may be so critically ill that non, like an outcome device, or an outcome system, I should say, mm -hmm. communication system to get immediate needs communicated is really the primary goal, isn't it? Um, and uh, and yet you can have patients with neurodegenerative diseases who are tracheostomized and ventilator dependent who don't have the motor speech capability to to speak clearly or to produce um, to, to produce speech. And so you know more sophisticated all calm devices would be indicated. So from a communication standpoint, mm -hmm. then, but then with swallowing, um, we also approach that both from a pathophysiology, giving you an understanding of of pathophysiology, of swallowing and the interrelationship between breathing and swallowing. And then we get into, a, then there's a chapter on um, management. So treatment options, how do, what do we do with these patients once we see what the, what the problem is? How do we start to remedy it? How do we treat these people? What can we do in an ICU very differently than maybe what you can do in a post-acute or even in a home care setting? So we talk about the, the continuum uh, where a patient might be from the emergency room or the ED, you know, in an acute care hospital and, and acute settings, 
all the way through to, you know, home care, outpatient, uh, all of that. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that also because you, you cover the different patient settings so far as acute care all the way through to home care. Yes. And that's not typical in a lot of books. So that's nice too to know that you've kind of got taken that spectrum of settings mm -hmm. and addressed what some of the needs are because they are different. Well, that's the benefit of working for 30 years because we've been in all of those settings. We have literally been in all those settings and with this population. So, um, so we have a unique perspective, but we wanted, we really did want to just share what we've learned. Um, and we have a lot more to learn, but that's the beauty of it, isn't it? Um, so. And um, also, not only did we try to talk about settings, Kristen, but we also talked about how you might encounter the patient a little differently. For example, we ourselves found uh, a lot of patients were on non-invasive ventilation. Perhaps they then moved to tracheostomy and ventilator dependence, or perhaps they'd been weaned. So we realized that we needed to um, beef that up a little bit, so we did. We, so we do have some sections that um, help you manage the patient with pulmonary issues. Um, Just a whole different update. That's a whole new addition. Yeah. You see to why the we said we, we really went into yes, yeah. yes. Because clinicians are going to go to the bedside and see a patient that has a face mask on, or who was on high flow oxygen therapy, exactly. or who has a nasal cannula in. Um, patients who become dyspneic, and uh, and we need the clinicians to understand why that's not normal, and that mm -hmm. and that trying to facilitate swallowing in a dyspneic patient, you know, is really not functional. And so, how do you how do you understand what you're seeing, what's in front of you? How do you then know how to navigate some of those questions to the team? So we took it from that point of view. Um, and we didn't want to just leave the clinician like you met the patient in the ICU or the acute care setting and now what? Now you've got them in the subacute, they might be off the trach in the vent, but they're not normal. They right. still need help. Yes. You need some kind of clinical tools to help guide you so you can take your patient all the way. Well, I do like the idea of the book as a clinical tool um, because that's what clinicians need and they need tools they can they take do. and use yes. not just not cookbooks as yes not said. cookbooks but things that help them like you said help them critically think help them know what questions to ask or to plan their care based on you know what they're seeing so I didn't know about the pulmonary considerations that you've added to the book so are there any additions that I've missed we've talked about peds palliative care pulmonary we know we've updated things but were there any other new chapters or areas that we want to touch on? I think there are a whole new uh, group of things added to the appendix. Um, we tried to give some policies and procedures. We um, did in, in previous editions have uh, team building and building a team in that process and we, we continue. We still have a chapter on that but really talked about sort of how do you how do you build a team? You know, if you're, you you see patients that you're sort of forced to see because you are consulted, and and how do you how do you interface with the rest of the interprofessional sort of medical team members? How do you how do you do that? Um, so we, we we talk a lot about that, and then try to give the reader just some tools like okay, you have to start writing policies and procedures. So we wrote policies and procedures on one-way speaking valves on utilizing um, you know uh, airway clearance 
devices. So, because these patients have a lot of secretion issues. So, um, that was a big deal. I remember Karen and I had to write up for our own program. Mm -hmm. we, had to, we started using devices like cough assist or whatever over the years, but we never had policies and procedures in place and said, wait a second. That needs to be part of our, our you know, our manual that that um, uh, uh, intersects with nursing and respiratory. So these were collaborative right. policies. Um, so we gave, ex uh, you know, examples of that. We gave uh, um, tools on suctioning, you know, competencies for suctioning because speech oh. pathologists need to know how to suction when you're working with this population. But you need to be competent yes. and trained in doing so. Um, and I. Because you mentioned that, I will clarify, it was something I've talked about a few times, but uh, suctioning with tracheostomy patients, I, like you, I think is an essential skill that speech-language pathologists should have. It is within our scope of practice when we're working certainly with these is. patients certainly for communication and swallowing. Um, however, it does vary facility to facility and state Absolutely. to state. So they do have to know their local um, and we, guidelines we actually, and all. We but mentioned that. We oh, I'm sure you mentioned it in the book, but yeah. I mean, ju I just generally wanted to say it yes. in regards to yes. suctioning because I think it's a very important skill to have. Yeah. And, and so having those competencies and having something to look at to go by, we typically recommend that um, those competencies are kind of managed by respiratory therapy, that training, they helped with the training aspect of it. And that's how we, we've done that's it for we did all it. these years. So yeah. the respiratory therapy uh, group actually always trained all of our um, staff members so that they were deemed competent and mm -hmm. needed to demonstrate return demonstration. It was a, it's a pretty rigorous mm -hmm. um, process that we put our clinicians through, um, but they need to be confident right. and competent. Yeah. Um, in, in performing suctioning because you're managing an airway and you're managing uh, patients who are dysphagic. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad you both did bring up our respiratory therapy colleagues because we certainly emphasize that we cannot do this work without mm -hmm. them. And of course, our other uh, nursing physicians, our, 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 our other rehab professionals, we do talk about functioning in the team um, and how to do that and how we best all work together. So, well, I think and I think that's a, a good spot to, I'm gonna bring it back around to what I said at the beginning. While I'm a speech language pathologist and the three authors, well, you're the two authors mm -hmm. and then you had the contributing author, Laura, are all speech pathologists. This is not a book just for speech language pathologists because it really does address the team, the interdisciplinary needs, and it provides a really nice, well-rounded understanding of patients with tracheostomy or mechanical ventilation mm -hmm. and then and the and even like you said the role of the team the need to have a team because yes. they're not seen in a silo exactly. they you know it takes more disciplines to be involved in the care of these patients and your book i think has always in the past and i'm sure this one does the same is written in such a way that it really helps bring that to light and like anybody can use it as a resource. Yes. It's not meant for just one profession. It's hundred percent. It's I mean. meant for anyone who's working with patients yes. who have tracheostomy and mechanical ventilation. Yeah. Yeah. We that is our intention to, for it to really be a uh, a resource for many many professions mm -hmm. because candidly, you know, nurses and respiratory therapists they they have wonderful, obviously extensive backgrounds, for example, and physicians, and pul our pulmonologists. I mean, our pulmonologists has taught us so much, but we've also taught them a lot because the mm -hmm. appreciation for what 
we all do in our specialty areas. You know, when the pulmonologist is making changes to the ventilator and the respiratory therapist is, is weaning the patient along with the, with, you know, mm -hmm. under the guidance of the pulmonologist, they may not have an appreciation for the work of breathing that's involved in doing that as it impacts swallowing, as it impacts, you know, the patient's ability to be an oral communicator. So, so um, we really do hope that this text will cross over past speech pathologists um, and, and be shared with other professions because, uh, you know, it, it will just improve the care um, mm -hmm. of, with, you know, the, of this population. Uh, hopefully. Well, and as we mentioned, patients really need access to communication, that autonomy in their care. Yes. And so any and anyone can start that process. You know, to, to start getting the patient what they need. Absolutely. Even anyone if, even can if be the champion. And anyone yes, can, yes, anyone can be the champion. And I think that's a nice spot to almost end, because my last question is, when is the book going to be available? Do we know? <laughs> Early 2022. Early 2022. So coming up? Yeah. Yes. Just within soon. a few months. Soon. Just a couple, soon. two or three. We can say a few months. Yes. A few yes. months, yeah. yes. People can go to www.eatspeakbreathepublishing.com. So www.eatspeakbreathepublishing.com to sign up for publication updates and to learn more about the book and to find keep up to date on when it'll be available. So Perfect. that'll be great. Thank yes. you. Thanks so much for having us. Thank y'all for joining Thank me. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so much. excited about your book. I can't yeah. wait. We promise. You're, you're getting the first copy. <laughs> <laughs> we promise. Thank you for listening. Unlike this special bonus episode, the regular episodes of Passy Muir's CAM podcast are available for continuing education for speech-language pathologists and nursing. For more information, please visit www.passymuir.com slash podcast. Mm -hmm.